everyone. Welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across Asia. I'm your host, Amrita Veer. In this episode, I speak with Ritvik Ghosh, co-founder of Seedflex, a brand new embedded SME lending fintech. Ritvik started his career in banking, but quickly moved into consulting at Oliver Wyman, where he focused on retail and SME financial services across South and Southeast Asia. For the last five years, Ritvik served as the regional head of lending at Grab, where he drove the growth of embedded credit products for drivers, merchants, and consumers in the Grab ecosystem. Ritvik also happens to be my former boss, from when I led the regional driver lending business at Grab, and I am thrilled that he is sharing his newest venture on the green room. Seedflex is bringing lending to SMEs with a pay-as-you-sell approach and modular technology. Seedflex was founded in September of 2023 and is launching operations across Southeast Asia, starting with Malaysia. You can learn more about Seedflex by visiting seedflex.com. Ritvik, welcome to the green room. I can't believe we are finally doing this episode. Um, thank you for being here today. Excited to be here. And uh, yes, uh, finally, we are, we are able to do the uh, episode and looking forward to it. Awesome. Um, Ritvik, we have many things to talk about, but I want to get the audience... Um, I want the audience to get to know you a little bit. Uh, so I want to talk about your career. Uh, you have been in financial services for a long time, uh, a really long time. You started on the banking side <laughs> in, in India and the US, but pretty quickly moved into consulting. So first things first, why finance? Um, and I think also particularly lending. Um, how did you get involved in, in the lending space? Yeah, I, well... First, you make me sound like um, I've been here for ages. Um, well, we've not been here for ages. <laughs> uh, but yes, I have been around for a while. So I, I would say it, it it happened partly by chance, partly by my, my own choice and, and drive. So I, by training, I'm an engineer, but I never really enjoyed engineering much. And then moved on to do my MBA from IIM Calcutta. And when I graduated, um, and this is... Uh, this many years back, finance and consulting were sort of the hottest gigs. Tech wasn't tech there uh, yet there. And finance came naturally to me because um, it, it made very concrete sense to think about things in numbers, data, facts, and in everyday life, how it impacts people. Looking at various options in finance, I ended up joining Capital One and Capital One in in US. And Capital One... Um, obviously at that point was the most innovative finance company perhaps it wasn't even a bank it was a non-bank lender into subprime prime segments and and that's what got me interested into credit when i joined capital one i figured out how you can use data very creatively to provide access to credit to those who may not have access or don't have access on as good terms so that that's where by credit journey or journey with credit started. Yeah. And Capital One has been just such a leader in solving for segments that have previously been like underserved. Why why is that something that's important to you? Important in the sense like, you know, growing up in India and then moving to US for my for for my first job with Capital One, I realized that there's a massive disparity in terms of availability of credit or access to capital in general. And the impact it may have in terms of how people live their lives and what they have access to. So starting with simple things like education and, you know, loan for education, which back in India was quite difficult to get. Only few public 
banks could give you and there's a long process, long delays. And what I understood after moving to US is that was just part of a standard program of how you, you do your undergrads and grads. Is yeah. A student loan is embedded in that journey rather than being a question mark which may enable or not enable the journey. So as I got more into it and I understand this the difference in access to credit and the difference it makes to people's lives, my conviction and passion to make a contribution to that in a positive way just keeps increasing. And as you say, been around for long <laughs> enough and the conviction still there and the gap is still there. Yeah, yeah. no, it's incredible. You've seen this industry through many changes. Uh, I think particularly uh, at your time at Oliver Wyman, um, I think after your stint in the US, you moved back to Asia. Um, and you were at Oliver Wyman for um, 11 years, focused on financial services. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so maybe I'll start with you know how, how Oliver Wyman happened. So after a few years at Capital One, and this is pre-global financial crisis, I understood how credit works in the context of uh, US as a market and in the context of sort of the segments I was looking into. And I deeply enjoyed the, the level of analytics and the decision-making that it enabled. However, my view at that point was that the same logic of using data to make decisions can be way broader than just what, what I could do with Capital One. And Oliver Wyman has always been known as a really analytical, data-driven consulting company. And, and, and it, it was the perfect match. So a lot of my skills that I learned from Capital One on how to use decision science in the context of credit, when I joined Oliver Wyman, um, we did very similar things, but then we used decision science not just in the context of making credit decisions, but also in the context of making marketing decisions and the entire life cycle of the customer. So the work I did with Oliver Wyman spanned across um, 20 different markets, wow. probably you know 60 to 70 different clients. They were all financial institutions of, of various size and shape. And I kept on moving from um, New York, which is where I joined, to India, where there wasn't an office before I moved to India. And I was part of the, of the Day Zero setup team of Oliver Wyman India. And then uh, moved to Singapore in 2012. And last five years of Oliver Wyman, I was based out of Singapore. And during this sort of 10-year journey, there's a massive amount of change that I saw in finance itself and the clients that I served and what I served them for. Initially, you know, back when I joined Oliver Wyman in the US, it was about sort of how you do better risk modeling, how you better serve existing segments, in the context of very traditional institutions, banks or monolines as they were called back then. By the time I left Oliver Wyman, the clients we were serving were all looking into a digital enablement of, of credit. Um, and the clients were sometimes banks, sometimes fintechs, and, and sometimes the Grab. And, and that's how Grab happened. Mm -hmm. So I saw the industry in transition, and that led me to believe that the next phase of growth in financial services is going to come from this, this overlap of technology and finance and a new breed of companies which are able to execute on, the, on that mission with that overlap. Yeah. Well, and then it makes perfect sense that uh, after all of your time watching the industry evolve at Oliver Wyman, you joined Grab. 
how did you join Grab? And I'm, I'm very excited about this part of the story because it's obviously where our stories come together. So how did you join Grab and what was exciting about where Grab was in its fintech journey at that time? Yeah, so um, it, it's a, well, as consulting, we say we shouldn't name our clients, but this one I've already named. <laughs> <laughs> and this is back in 2017, so, so probably old enough. So back then, um, yeah, one of my last projects for Olive Women was for Grab. And Grab was still a, primarily a, a mobility company, which had just acquired Uber. And by that acquisition in Southeast Asia, Grab had gotten delivery as the second business. Uh, but there wasn't much in the sense of financial services. Uh, there was Grab Pay, payment being sort of the facilitator of transaction was still there. The project and the mandate that, that I initially had for Grab as a consultant was to look into financial services and see where else the opportunities may lie. And it so happened that our recommendation as a consultant was Grab should get into fintech lending mm-hmm. because of all the advantages and assets that it has and the, the mission that it has to empower Southeast Asia and make a positive difference and how credit enables that. So we did our project. I delivered the, the, the recommendation and assumed that it would be taken and take its own course, um, not involving me personally. But after a few months, um, Grab set up FinTech Lending and they um, hired me to you know, lead the, that division. So I became the commercial head of lending from day zero, one of the day zero employees of, of lending for Grab. Which is incredible. And I've seen it come on such a journey since then. I want to talk about your journey at Grab. I know that this is your, these were the last five years at Grab? Five, yes. Five, yeah. Wow. It's also the place where you met your Seedflex co-founder, Savik. And I think of both of you as like the gurus of Grab lending. Um, you two built a lot of the business together. You built a lot of the team. Can you tell us about what what was really challenging, but maybe also really rewarding about jumping from consulting and then actually going into a client where you were building and building from zero? It's a two-part, challenging and, and rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> <They may laughs> I not... both for a reason. <laughs> I will start with... Uh, wait, okay. I'll start with rewarding and, and then let's see if we can switch to challenges. So the, the main motivation for me to make the, the switch was the belief in the mission that Grab had and has, which is a, you know, the impact that one can create, a platform like Grab can create by engaging um, millions of drivers uh, who then serve, which now has become essentially an utility of going home, going to office, everyday utility, uh, to millions of, of consumers in Southeast Asia. And in that kind of ecosystem, all the other things, the good that can happen. Credit, which I had seen from a very banking pre-fintech lens, was always um, an ask that consumer or a merchant will make because they need credit. And then the supply set of credit will take its own sweet time to decide whether it should be made available or not, or in what terms. So it always came across as a privilege that can very easily be denied. And it has negative impacts when that credit access is not available and things, but that didn't fundamentally change how the supply side of credit looked at it, right? With Grab, I saw an opportunity where credit gets so deeply embedded 
into the the life of the ecosystem and the transactions that it becomes seamless and it becomes almost an embedded right of the user or the supplier that I will have access to credit because you already know me as the person who drives 12 hours a day and as a person who earns $1,000 end of the month. So if you have all of that information, then why should I not have access to credit, right? And I, I truly believe that that is how credit should be. Uh, it should not be a privilege that can very easily be denied for whatever reasons. And I'm very happy that with what we built at Grab and where we are after five years when we just left Grab, that is how our driver partners of Grab, merchant partners of Grab look at credit now. They expect the same out of everybody else that, hey, I am this great person. I am doing everything I can do to make my ends meet. And I have at least one provider who believes in me, gives me credit where it's due. So everybody else should, right? And that empowerment, that journey is the, the biggest reward of the five years. Yeah. Wait, um, before we get to the challenges, I want to interject. It is it is amazing to see how Grab really pushed the conversation forward on what is credit? What is embedded credit for base of the pyramid merchants and drivers um, in this market? What do you think? I mean, obviously, there was the business idea. There was the opportunity. But do you think Grab has like a secret sauce or some special sauce that allows them to offer the credit and then manage the risk as well. Like what was, what was Grab able to do maybe differently than other SME lenders five years ago? There are some, uh, you know, structural advantages. Um, so I'll cover them um, in a nutshell that by being um, a matchmaking ecosystem, a matching, you know, supply with demand in mobility or delivery, Grab sits right in the middle of understanding income or cash flows that happen in that transaction. Um, so, for example, for drivers, all of the historical income and the transaction data at the level that you want to go into, all of that is, of course, available to Grab. And that formed the primary basis for our underwriting. It wasn't the driver's credit history, bank statement, and all of the other information. It is the driver's record of income generation and work ethics that Grab truly had. And the same applied for merchants. What then made the, the risk quality or the asset quality really shine is the second part of the equation, which is not only Grab did understand what the income has been, it in fact sat in the settlement layer of future income. And that gave us an ability to fractionalize all future repayments. So instead of giving a credit to a driver where the driver is supposed to pay say $1,000 all of a sudden on fifth of every month, which the driver has no idea how to get that money from, it was $30 every day. They can seamlessly from, say, $200 or $300 the driver earns. And now this worked both ways. First of all, if you start with the driver, it, it was synchronous with how drivers understood their daily life. They were living day in, day out anyways. So it was synchronous from that perspective made repayment effortless and give them no anxiety about, oh, I'm taking this loan. Can I actually service it, right? Mm -hmm. So it is brilliant from that perspective. Absolutely. And of course, it is fantastic from perspective of risk management because you know every day that the your borrower is healthy, cash flow is healthy, and money is coming back. 
So those two were the secret sauce, if, mm-hmm. if you may say so, that the Grab and other ecosystem and many other players may have. I think the, the, the second part of the equation is to understand that mm-hmm. and execute on that and believe in what is the right team, what is the right organization, what is the right capability and structure you need to execute that. And that, having gone through Grab, and having looked at many others, yeah. is by no means a, a, a trivial question. Absolutely. Well, I, I agree very much with like you know the secret sauce being around like the data and using that the data that Grab was able to capture and then using that in risk modeling, and then also on the collection side. But I think what's core to that is what you said afterwards, which is you're meeting the drivers of the merchants on their level. You meet them with the data that they have. You meet them, you know, with the cash flows that they get. You match their loan repayments with their income flow. And so by really understanding the customer, we're able to serve them in a completely different way that I think was, you know, really needle moving in this market. So um, thank you and Savik for building that and driving the whole field forward. I also have to ask you, you something you also mentioned is around like this this idea shaped the team that you were building. And Grab's lending team had a really interesting kind of matrix structure with like, you know, different functions and segments and countries. How did you think about putting those pieces together, especially given you know your role as head of commercials, Savik's role as head of risk? How did you kind of marry those functions together to really achieve what you, in, you intended to with the organization? It's a, it's a great question, um, and it goes back to the second point, which is you know executing on a on a vision and an opportunity is is the real pot of gold in any case, right? So some of it happened organically. But I think the parts where we made very conscious choices where if you look at functionally, I have seen many organizations in credit who run business slash commercial with, with a very growth, booking new loans, and to an extent, yes, managing PNL mentality. And then they run risk with let's reduce risk, manage risk down mindset. And the two are, by definition, always causing friction and they accept that friction as healthy which i think a part of that friction is healthy but if it becomes the decision making dysfunctional and the organization culture very you know averse to each other where your ability to work with each other and find new things suffers then it is not healthy so one of the things that both me and sovik believe from day from day zero and i believe because of my capital and experience and Swabi, because of his years of banking experience and learning both sides of it, is credit as a business only works if both sides, the commercial and the risk side, um, want to drive the same outcome, which essentially is risk-adjusted returns. Mm-hmm. It's the bottom line. It's not one's driving the top line, one's driving loss, and somehow the bottom line appears out of magic. Both sides are just driving the bottom line. And so... Now, how do you drive the bottom line? My core belief um, has always been that the true sustainable innovations in credit are almost always risk-driven. It is something that you are doing in risk, which is informing your go-to market, who you are targeting, or the structure of the product, or ultimately how you are configuring the product. But it is something that you are doing in risk, or you have a risk thesis that is different. And then that builds everything else and that builds a stack of intelligence. So because of that belief, 
we always understood that you know ultimately in you know making the 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 grab lending business work it is the risk that as a function has to innovate mm-hmm. and then every other function has to support mm-hmm. that innovation yeah yeah i was always so appreciative of my risk counterpart um at at grab do you remember what you used to call us you don't remember what you used to call us you used to call us the deadly duo um, <laughs> because oh yes yes uh, now now i do now i do <laughs> No, because because risk was such a core part of our business. I remember any any new commercial idea I had, you were like, great, but you need to go check with the risk team. If the risk team says we can do it, great. But if not, then you have to work together to find a solution. And I thought that structure was really helpful in, in leading us to not just products that like drove quote unquote GMV or dispersal growth, but actually led to like a sustainable business model. So Rivik, with that, I also, I want to go back to the question about challenges that you faced at Grab and maybe if I can lead you a little bit, uh, how that led to your thinking about starting something outside of the Grab ecosystem. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I skipped the challenges part. <laughs> now I have, to, I have to come back to it. So ch- challenges, um, I think one part of the challenge was, it's just the pace of, of execution and building from zero to one across six different markets um, in three different segments at the same time. So you can draw 18 different boxes on a matrix and we were trying to execute all of them together and go from zero to one. Managing that pace, that expectation of execution was in itself a challenge. Uh, don't think any other organization that I know of has tried to do that. And, and we got many of those boxes right. And, and, and that's, that's just, uh, goes to show how great the team was and how our, our ability to execute was. Um, so it's just that level of ambition and pace of execution was, was one challenge. I think the other challenge also was we were, um, a small part of Grab. And in many ways, I'm thankful to Grab's culture and Grab's co-founders and, and whole leadership which believed in the business and left us alone for a while to build the business to a certain stage. But once that building was done, which is say year three mark, and at that point, Grab also become a listed company that required a level of integration with the broader organization, which meant that we were working as a part of a very large company. That slowed us down. Yes, um, created more layers in execution level decision making when we went into functions like engineering or product, which uh, had a different way of organizing themselves. And that, that you know, required a level of kind of organizational navigation and alignment that wasn't necessary in the first three years, and which allowed us to build what we actually built. Yeah. And you've recently left Grab along with your co-founder, Sabic, uh, and started Seedflex. Tell us how the idea for Seedflex was born and I guess what you're taking from Grab um, as you as you embark on this new journey. It's, it's really organic, this movement of us coming together and forming Seedflex. Um, it happened, I would say, almost seamlessly and, and naturally, it feels what we built at Grab, um, and we talked about the ecosystem advantages that Grab has. And as we were building it, we realized that it has its uh, limitations. Those advantages have their own limitation, right? 
particularly when we build the, the merchant side of the product, where the core thesis of the product is that Grab as an ecosystem understands past flows, has all kinds of data about past flows of the merchant, which is, say, a restaurant selling on Grab. Um, and then Grab is also the settlement um, party for future flows. And that's the core thesis of the, the merchant lending product. But for merchants, um, Grab has a specific share, not the majority share. Could be 20, could be 30, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And it's not just Grab. Any other ecosystem, any other service provider in a merchant, micro-merchant, small-merchant universe has a similar share. Uh, merchants don't work with just one platform, just you know, one payment gateway. They're selling online, they're selling offline. So we realized that a single ecosystem, even as large as Grab, only has a limited ability to serve the entire credit need of a merchant because the entirety of their flow is not with one single platform. And that's where the idea of Seedflix came, which is if you want to serve the merchant, these small micro merchants in B2C space, whether they are selling online or they're selling offline but have non-cash payment methods or selling using on-demand platforms like Grab, you need to take the merchant view. And from that view, you will see there are multiple different partners you need to aggregate the total information about sales and settlement. And now these partners internally may be conflicted. For example, one payment gateway may not want to work with the other payment gateway. Of course, it's a whole business and super sensitive. So the idea of Seedflex is to create a horizontal platform, which is not specific to a single partner ecosystem, but is there to serve the merchant. Wherever the merchant, micro-merchant is, is wherever Seedflix wants to be. We want to work with all these partners uh, on equal terms and be able to embed uh, micro-credit, micro-merchant credit through their platforms and through their ecosystems. Um, so we really felt that it needs an arm's length, you know, horizontal play uh, to be able to serve the merchant fully. No, that's it's amazing to see how you you you've got, taken the same thinking from Grab, like meeting the customer where they are and solving their real problem, and taking it from Grab to to Seedflex because merchants, uh, yeah, are very are very different um, from any other type of consumer. Very different from drivers. Very different from kind of more white collar consumers. They they're really unique, and I want to spend some time actually chatting about merchants because I think a whole when you talk about SMEs or micro SMEs they kind of get lumped into this big bucket, but actually there are many different segments within that. So when we talk about, I think grab merchants are very clear. It's a lot of F&B players who are, you know, making, making food and those get delivered by the grab platform. Um, but actually the micro and SME market is much, much bigger. Can you sort of describe the market that you're, you're tackling with Cflex? Yeah, you, you know, I'll start with the statement you made that the merchant universe is really unique, uniquely diverse, um, and that um, generally poses a challenge. Either you oversimplify them and build a product that is oversimplified, or you build something that is uh, super niche and hence cannot be generalized, right? So finding the right balance is is really the key and the challenge that Seedflix takes up and, and, and solving, right? 
product. In terms of merchants, we we target. So of the universe of, you know, um, about, say, 50 million odd micro uh, micro merchants who are largely in B2C space in Southeast Asia, um, there are already about 7 million who are digital. Um, digital in the sense they are selling online, they are accepting orders using on-demand platforms, and they accept digital payments. And they're all in B2C. So they include the cafes and restaurants and gift shops, um, which you would see more an offline way. They include um, those selling on e-commerce platforms, also selling on their own site using Shopify and other plugins. And they include merchants um, who are, say, specialty retailers, uh, selling custom-made footwear or fashion clothes and such. So there's 7 million of them in Southeast Asia alone who are already digital. And out of them, only about 1 million, which is a tiny fraction, have anything that can be called embedded digital credit. By that term, what we mean is credit that takes into account their digital presence, their digital flows, their digital settlement, and is underwritten truly based on that information. So we're not talking about a standard, you know, term loan from a bank, which you find through a Google discovery or Instagram discovery. That's not embedded digital credit for us because it's still traditional in terms of how the credit is underwritten. It is just the discovery has become digital. That doesn't solve merchants' everyday problem. Right. To your point, the everyday cash flows, everyday fractional deductions, they are not there. So the gap we want to address today, day zero for Seedflex, is that gap of 6 million merchants who have no embedded digital credit, but they are already digital. Now, as we do that, this number 7 million also is rapidly growing. More and more merchants out of the 50 million universe are becoming digital. And the digitization of sales, digitization of discovery, digitization of payment has gathered a massive momentum across all of the Southeast Asian markets. However, digital embedded credit is still lagging far behind. So we believe this gap is a generational structural gap, which we will be able to address. And there will be in waves and waves of potential growth and improvements in data infrastructure, platform infrastructure that will give us more and more tailwind to, to scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talked about a 7 million uh, addressable market of, of SMEs, but that's going to double in the next five years. And so as you build a business, um, your market is going to grow, which is uh, very exciting, a good place to be in. Rithik, can we talk a little bit about um, the, the Seedflex product itself? What What is the product that you're offering and how does it link all of these different facets of a merchant's financial life together? Yeah, a really exciting topic. So I'll start with, with uh, what the product is for the merchant, because ultimately that, that's the beneficiary we want to serve. So it is essentially we are enabling access to credit, which is growth capital for these micro merchants, but that is backed by not what they own as assets, because the merchant's biggest asset is the business that the, the owner is running. If that business is generating positive, predictable cash flows, and if that's growing month to month, quarter to quarter, that is the asset. Now, unfortunately, in the traditional finance sense, 
because there is not enough information to under understand and underwrite based on that cash flow based information merchants need to put up collaterals of whatever other fixed assets they may own so what seedflex is doing is we are unlocking growth capital and providing growth capital to merchants through our set of partnerships which i'll come to in a moment and help merchants you know take money out of a very well run business and use that capital for future growth for future expansion or to meet um, seasonal demands and and this our primary target are micro merchants who today don't have such access generally speaking from traditional large institutions because they're too small for for them and when they have such access from fintechs or other money lenders they are in very pricey expensive terms now the structure of product that we are bringing to market is based on flows and those flows we capture uh, with merchants consent from the partners that the merchant works with and i can think of payment gateways as potential partners or solution providers as another one but there also could be direct in api integrations with the likes of shopify with merchant consent from which we can pull in that information so that's one part of it which is pulling in all the flow information that we can get about that merchant rather than asking the merchant to upload bank statement credit bureau <laughs> information and all of that right all the traditional stuff, all the, traditional really stuff. the second part of the product which is which, which is part of the core thesis is it's not enough to understand the flow and give credit based on the flow but you need to make sure that the repayment is synchronous with how how a b2c merchant's cash flows happen so on the repayment side again we are working with uh, payment partners payment gateways who settle with the merchant and auto debit direct debit rails as they are being set up in different countries and we fractionalize repayments so instead of again going to a merchant asking for a lump sum of money end of the month we are fractionalizing it daily and weekly and small small amounts of money come back from a merchant perspective it's going to be a single fee product no interest on interest late fees anxieties because that's the problem we're trying to solve for. we're saying here is growth capital for you that is based on the brilliant business you're running take this money make this business even better do what you're passionate about all the anxieties of how you manage this loan can you afford it and all that we have made sure the product works it takes care of all of that anxiety so that's the merchant proposition but the way we go to that is by building a horizontal tech product that has a core product that can be very easily replicable and scalable across markets however on top of that we are building a middle layer which is the integration layer where we work with market specific payment gateways and then we do market specific configurations for example every market will have slightly different licensing structure slightly different kyc norms so there is a clear box in the product architecture of seedflex which takes care of those configurations and that does not impact 80% of the actual technical build of the product which is completely partner agnostic market agnostic it serves the merchant exactly the same way across whichever geography it is yeah that's great i think having that modular design it sounds like you can go to market really quickly with many different partners with you know sort of a limited integration timeline Well, let's actually talk about some of those partners. I think it's very clear the value proposition for the merchant, but you've got two, one maybe two sets of partners here. 
Um, you've got origination partners where you get the data to actually understand and underwrite the, the merchants. And then you've got the repayment partners and who actually, where you can get into the cash flows and actually deduct your daily, weekly, you know, regular payments before they get to the merchant. Very similar to the process we used at Grab, which is great. But what's in it for those origination and repayment partners? Like, why would they want to be part of this ecosystem? So uh, there are three things I'll talk about here, um, starting from commercial to strategic, and again, the decision of why not do it themselves. So I'll touch on these three things. First, the commercial one is our proposition to these partners, as you rightly said, origination and repayment partners broadly, and the two could be the same entity or different entities, is you essentially monetize your existing infrastructure, your existing relationships. So Seedflix will pay an originating partner a fee that is some a percentage or, or factor of the origination volume, no risk attached, no capital attached. It's a risk-free income for the originating partner. And similarly for the repayment partner, it is some a function of the total amount of money we have collected back from that partner for that specific merchant. Again, a completely risk-free income. You're essentially sweating your existing assets and generating bottom line. That's the that that's the the commercial point for the partners, right? And you're doing that in a way where you're offering a product that is super differentiated because no one else is doing it. If you're a payment gateway and you're working with Seedflix, this is a unique proposition. And it is a proposition that your micro small merchants deeply care about. So the product that we have been offered have an NPS when we have tr tried it in our previous lives 80-90. Repeat rate of 70 to 80%. So it is the most loved product that the merchants have seen. Yeah. So you as a partner, when you bring that sort of a product to your merchant, your merchant's loyalty with the platform goes up. Your merchant's GMV with the platform goes up. So for example, if you're fighting for wallet share as a payment gateway, your wallet share goes up because the merchant sees the value that you're bringing in. And thirdly, if merchant's own survival rate grows up because now merchants have an ability to tap into cash flow, based working capital, which is 24-7, you know, few clicks away. So they would not have these issues of cash crunch and becoming insolvent because of cash situations. So that combines the first two points, the commercial and the strategic one. Now, the third point, which I often hear is, all this is great, um, but instead of working with Seedflix, could the ecosystem, could the partner not do on their own, right? right. Um which is exactly what um, in last five years <laughs> we, we, we worked, uh, helped grab build. Um, my, my answer to that is, you know, yes, an ecosystem can definitely do it on their own, start it on their own. They have a right to enter. But again, the right to truly serve the merchant, the right to truly win in this space has to be the one who can aggregate and serve the merchant fully rather than 20% of sales, 30% of sales. So yes, you can try and start, but ultimately you will reach a ceiling, which you can only break if you are willing to be partner agnostic, ecosystem agnostic, and horizontal in your design and ambition. 
And as we realized, once you are so deeply embedded from a tech product perspective, commercial model perspective, organizational perspective, suddenly to you know break free and become horizontal is not easy. Yeah, I'm not saying it's possible, not possible. <laughs> it's not easy, right? So that's one response I'll give. The other response I'll give is, I mean, and, and I can't uh, stress on this enough, which is credit may look like a great business only when it is done well, run well, funded well. And by no means it is easy to do, easy to run, and easy to fund. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sitting here giggling a little bit with Rithik <laughs> because I think we've both seen a lot of fintechs go into the lending space um, or companies that have like a core, you know, a core business and then sort of go into lending as like a nice adjacency is a nice add on. And it requires a completely different skill set. A lot of the risk management you talked about earlier, a lot of the ability to like take data and underwrite with it and then even collect. These are all things that unless you have really deep experience in lending, they're really hard to execute on. And I think we've all seen a lot of companies go into the space and fail, especially, you know, the last few months um, in, in like this tougher funding environment. So I think, I think that's a really valid point. Um, and I think one more point I would have to bring up is that by allocating capital across many different platforms, you're able to diversify in a way that you could never do, you know, right. As a capital allocator, you can't do that just with one one diff- one company, one platform. So going across markets, um, across geographies is is a really good way to uh, manage your own risk as a capital allocator. It's a, it's a great point, Amrita. I, I, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, yes, and that's also a nervousness one would have if you were only lending to, say, FNB businesses only in Malaysia, and that's 100% of your portfolio, Something goes wrong. If something happens in in <laughs> Malaysia uh, to the FNB supply chain, you're done. You're done. You're absolutely done. I think that concentration risk is um, significant. Um, so, with that said, let's talk a little bit about the products that you're actually offering, um, because we've I, I've had a guest on the show talk about many different SME lending products. There's B two P, B two B, BNPL. There's supply chain financing. There's invoice factoring. Where is, or I guess, what is Seedflex planning to offer? All of them? One of them? Like, what is the best in your mind? And then along with that, which markets do you do you want to tackle first? So product-wise, our entry product is a cash advance. Um, the way it works is uh, for, a, for a typical mer- merchant, based on the, the flow information we get and risk intelligence and modeling out of it, we will ascertain a factor of number of weeks of sales that we can um, give as a cash advance credit limit. So for example, if a merchant has a weekly sales of $1,000 and based on their data and the the risk intelligence, we assign 12 as the multiple. So we will give $12,000 of maximum credit limit, which is pre-qualified even before the merchant comes into seat flex flow. That's how the product is designed. Which is really innovative. Nobody's pre-qualified. <laughs> Again, it goes back to one of the points I made, which is credit. We want to flip credit to credit as a right because I am uh, already discoverable and you understand me and hence I, I should be accepted. Rather than this psychology of credit as a privilege, Whereas a merchant, I apply and wait for three days and then 80% of the chances I get rejected. Yeah, nobody has time for that. Nobody has time <laughs> for that. It's not a, it doesn't leave you with good 
taste, good memories of association with credit. So we want to flip it. So it will start with pre-qualified. So if someone is not qualified, she would not even see Seedflex style in her dashboard with our partner, right? So it starts, the funnel starts there. Then post pre-qualification, once we have the, the detailed data based on merchant's consent, we will immediately, there's a real-time decision which will form up that credit. So in that, going back to the example of $1,000 per week merchant, 12 week as a multiple, $12,000 will appear in the fourth screen of the journey that the merchant takes single session. Again, it's important because that confirms that, yes, they're not just saying I am good. I am actually good. I can get $12,000 of credit. Yeah. So the credit appears instantly um, in the journey and the merchant can draw down that entire amount or any number smaller than that again instantly. So it's a simple journey. Say out of the $12,000, uh, the merchant wants to take a loan of $10,000. It's a flat fee. So say we're giving a loan which is for 24 weeks. So uh, $10,000. We put a flat fee of 5%. So the merchant needs to pay back $10,500. Fixed number. There is no other mechanics, nothing. Then the merchant has a choice to pay us back in what we called fixed mode, which is a fixed amount every week. So we just proportionate it over, say, a um, 24-week period. Or flexible, which is where the merchant says, you take 20% of my sales or 25% of my sales until the loan is paid back. That's it. It's, it's the merchant who decides. It's the merchant who is the empowered one. Now, everything else at the back end, what we have built, you can look at it and say it's incredibly complex. And it is. But the front end and the experience can only be beautiful and risk can also be managed if the back end is complex. Right. And we live with that complexity. The merchant doesn't. That so that's our entry product. But then we have you know, plans to go into other products because the ultimate credit infrastructure and the credit decision is at a merchant level. So even if the merchant has multiple partners, we aggregate all of their information and our credit limit continues to be from day one at a merchant level. And now that limit can be drawn down using instant cash advance, can be drawn down using buy now, pay later for merchant. Those are just use cases so, you know, built on top of an existing infrastructure, which we believe would be sort of the next stages of things we do. Got it. And Ritvik, I uh, wanted to ask about which markets you're going with. You obviously have tons of experience uh, in many markets across the world um, and are, of course are in Southeast Asia now. Um, any particular markets you want to start with? So geographically, Southeast Asia, clearly. Market-wise, we are looking at Thailand, Malaysia and Philippines as our first entry markets. And once that's done, we will definitely look into Indonesia and Vietnam as other markets. So that, that's the plan as of now. Got it. Um, Rithik, we only have a few more minutes, but a couple more questions I want to ask you. I think going back to the point around the SMEs, um, and they've had terrible experiences with many other SME, micro SME lenders out there because they've been put through a horrible process, right? They've got to upload lots of documentation, they have to wait a long time, they're most likely going to get rejected. They've just been burned so often. Um, and I think what I've heard from many 
for many, you know, small business owners is that, you know, they're not going to bother with credit. They don't, they're not interested. Um, they don't trust the lenders. Even when they do get approved for a loan, that they're not going to get totally screwed over on the back end. Um, how are you, how are you going to manage this? How are you going to get SMEs and micro SMEs to trust you? That's a great, uh, great question. And I think that would be one of the, one of the challenges that we all, as providers of credit or those who want to do good, uh, will will have to take as part of our process, which is um, the fundamental understanding of, of credit may be very weak with many of these business owners, and their experience of credit may have been very negative. So what we what we learned over the last uh, five years of, of experimentation uh, is. Ultimately, trust building works best when it's not you, the provider, thumping the table and saying, I must be trusted. It is when the SMEs share their experience with the fellow shop owners in their own community, in their own circles, and vouch for you. So it is the organic word of mouth that spreads and that builds trust. So to get that, to do that, first of all, you have to do good. Truly good. Yeah. Um. You you should you have to make sure that the credit you're offering is super simple, super transparent, and does good for the merchant. You're not giving them too much of a credit line that they can't pay back, terms that they cannot honor. Right. Now, assuming you have the intention and the structure to do good, you need to start with a segment which may have. Um, less of our trust deficit, more amenable to digital products, maybe have had decent experiences and associate yourself with a trusted party, which is also the reason why we believe you know, players like them and Gateway are, are good partners because mm-hmm. they are in the money flow. They're already a trusted party. And those first few experiences are uh, super critical because once an SME, we believe, experiences Seedflex journey, benefits from it um we don't need to spend hopefully advertising and marketing revenue (laughs) sharing that because she will herself it is so outstanding Mm -hmm. and that's what we saw that with grab experience um we didn't have to market the credit directly beyond a point the drivers had their facebook groups whatsapp groups and all kinds of groups where they just took the picture of the offer that we sent and say did you see it? If you did, take it. Yeah. And merchants did the same. This takes a bit of time. Um, it's it's going to be a journey of you know three to six months before this catches traction. But I believe it, 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 this is what then bridges that trust deficit, and uh, and brings in new new owners of businesses who become open to credit rather than have a distaste for credit and. They understand how credit can fuel their growth. And that then gives us another tailwind for another few years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. The Latin root word of credit is credo, which actually means trust. And uh, it's, it's for, for millennia, credit has, or trust has been something that the lenders have to give to the borrowers. And it's what I love about Seedflex is that it's like reversing the equation. It's saying, hey, uh, borrowers, we're going to give you a way to actually trust the lenders. That's you. That's Seedflex. Um, so I'm very proud to uh, to be a supporter of Seedflex and to have you on the show, Rick Vick. 
Um, last final question, um, as you embark on um, your seed flex journey, what are you most nervous or afraid of? And what are you most excited about as you uh, go on this journey? I, again, two sides. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I like the duality. <laughs> Well, excited is a continuation of, of the mission and, and vision that we started with. And um, I'm truly grateful uh, to Grab um, that I understood what how bold and powerful that, that mission and vision can be, which is to empower everyday uh, individuals, entrepreneurs, in our case, with access to credit. And that conviction that... Uh, there is that need. There is that gap. Um, gives you the the you know the cause that what you're doing is for good, right? So that's the one I'm most excited about is continuing on that on that mission with a different entity with different degrees of freedom that may come and various other challenges and learning opportunities that comes with owning your or starting your own business. But I remain excited about the ultimate vision of empowering um, the individuals and businesses with credit. I think that the challenge, um, I mean, at a micro level, of course, there, there are many challenges. There will be everyday ups and downs. And there is always a, a risk of uh, failure, having thought about things that doesn't come to fruition. I mean, I personally don't, at this point, think of those as a, you know, insurmountable challenges, I think they, they have their own rewards. And as long as uh, my mindset, my co-founder's mindset is to understand and recognize the reward that comes in times of stress um, or challenge, I think we should be okay. Yeah. I can just feel you're like bubbling with um, enthusiasm um, and excitement about what's next for Seedflex. So I'm very excited for you and the team. Um, thank you so much for being here in the green room today. It's been a pleasure having you. My old boss, everyone, Ritvik Ghosh. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, thank you for everyone who's listening in. And thank you, Amrita, for making this happen. I'm really excited to be where we are. And we'll see what happens next. Yeah, very exciting. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Green Room with Amrita Veer. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate you leaving us five stars, a review, and passing us along to your friends. And if you know anyone who'd be a great guest or have any feedback, reach out to us at greenroomfintech at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Catch you later.